So Dave, you're ready for a vacation? Yes, yes. Well, I'm already on my vacation, so this is great. And by the time it goes to air, I will be like more than halfway through it. Oh, very nice. So, what do you, uh, so remind our listeners what are your what are your what are your plans? I'm going to Barcelona and Detroit. Barcelona, that's my favorite city in Spain. It's absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Um, so you're going to see the Sagrada Familia, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Excited about that. You're going to get a Tapas, get your, tapas, get your Gaudi on. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh God, I'm so jealous. What a what a great city. You're gonna have a great time. And and Detroit is probably your favorite city in Detroit. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yep. Yep. So that's the uh, the Maker Fair is gonna be there. Uh, the Detroit Maker Fair at like the Henry Ford Museum. So it's like one of the one of the big ones in the country. So um, Lauren is all excited about us going up there. To, to see that because uh, this is a maker fair that she could actually attend instead of exhibit at. So she's like excited to go around and see what people are doing and stuff. So that's oh, pretty right, cool. Yeah. yeah. She'll be off the clock, right? Mm-hmm. See, yep. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. Good. So how about you? What, what are you up to? Uh, so while I've been laboring away in my office, uh, my father-in-law is in town and uh, staying with us and he's uh, paying for his room and board by uh, planting trees in, in our backyard. Uh, you know, Austin's very hot and uh, very, uh, dusty and uh, our backyard is not much to look at right now and so he's been good enough to uh, uh, dig the place up and uh, and plant trees and it looks he put the first one in today and it looks awesome and now I'm suddenly mm-hmm. seized with the need to plant trees bushes shrubs uh, I'm I'm excited about about the new possibilities he has uh, he's opened up here uh, mm-hmm. yeah yeah so um, if anybody has any suggestions for uh, uh, trees that can uh, survive the uh, heat of a Texas summer, uh, please let me know because uh, I'm in the market. Yeah. So how would, have you, um, is it like itty bitty trees that are like teeny tiny now, or is it like a big, big honking tree that you're, you've got shade already? Yeah. So that we, we have a couple trees, which are big honking. Um, those came with the, the property. The ones we're putting in now are maybe like eight, nine feet tall. Um, mm-hmm. So we're not going to see some immediate results, but maybe in like a year's time, maybe two years time, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll start seeing the so which is which is uh, which is fine. Um, the fun part is actually making something grow inside uh, our soil, which is composed largely of uh, large rocks and broken glass. Um, right. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah, I know because like in where we live in Ohio, it was like former like farmland that got bulldozed and turned into the housing development and all that. So mm-hmm. we actually did all the landscaping from scratch. So whenever we moved here, Lauren was about six months old and we well, are closer to a year old. And, and so it was pretty interesting to see trees as old as her roughly and, and see them grow as she mm-hmm. grows. It's, it's pretty cool. That is cool. That's a, that's a great idea. In fact, one thing I was thinking about is, uh, I mean, yeah, it, I have a newborn son and if I'm planting mm-hmm. trees, this seems like a great opportunity to kind of connect the two things. Right. Um, yep. but it felt like there was, there should be a way to like mark the tree or, um, bury something in the roots or like, I mean, there has to be some way of kind of connecting the two of them in an explicit way, not just saying, Oh, you, this tree got planted about the same time that you were born. Um, yes. Like carving initials on it or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So still, mm-hmm. still kind of wrestling with, uh, with the right way to commemorate that kind of thing. But anyway, um, I'm excited to put this, uh, this new Vista, this new, this new hobby that he's, uh, that he's opened up for me. Um, so that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. 
Great. Yeah. yeah. So what's on tap for this this episode? So Dave, you have Russian admirers. I don't know if you know this. Um, yeah. Well, after our uh, dystopian episode, I, I think we got the attention of, of uh, right. the, the FSB or KGB or uh, yeah. I don't know. That's right. Probably yeah. some some Stasi uh, remnants. <laughs> Yeah, the, that's right. So some uh, some Stasi hangers on have, uh, have <laughs> <laughs> are suddenly paying attention to Dave's uh, Dave's work product, and uh, yeah. they've uh, what uh, well I guess you'll talk about this later. But they uh, translated uh, the article you had for uh, Defense Weekly, um, and not only translated it but gave some Russian commentary on it, which is which is pretty sweet. Um, and then uh, we got this bizarre VMware uh, blog post about this like nightmarish hellscape of Docker future something. I mean, they just seem, it's very strange. They're just terrified of the thing. Um, and then uh, this week, Dave, uh, we all learned uh, how to say navigator in Greek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we'll, we'll teach people that. That's correct. That's correct. Um, so if folks want to uh, learn about uh, the Greek word for navigator, um, mm-hmm. or if they want to learn more about uh, Dave's uh, fans at the FSB, um, mm-hmm. where should they go, Dave? Um, they want to go to dgshow.org, so D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org, where we have our, uh, we're on iTunes, and what we need stars for that. And, yeah, uh, we need more, yeah, we need more stars. Uh, there are a lot more listeners than there are uh, vocal proponents on iTunes. Uh, so take a moment and go into your iTunes client and uh, give us some stars, because we need the and stars. Is it, but it, isn't it true that every, every time you get, we get five stars, that makes Soren smile? Uh, yeah, that's right. Every time we get a star on the show, Soren cries uh, 15 minutes less a day. Um, mm, nice. So you are doing me a personal solid uh, when, mm, you, uh, nice. uh, when you uh, rank the show. Um, so what's on the cutting room floor this week? What, do, what, are, we, what are we not talking about? Yeah, uh, we're writing books with Markdown and Git. Um, we're we're going to hate on Ohio, and we're going to talk about uh, Austin's uh, Ransom Center. Yes, um, I want to draw some special attention to that because the Ransom Center um, at the University of Texas is amazing. It's one of the homes to, uh, it's a home to one of the few surviving Gutenberg Bibles. Um, mm-hmm. It is the home to the first photograph, uh, mm-hmm. and they have a rotating set of ex- exhibitions which are uniformly great. Um, the current one is uh, about World War II, uh, and it's just extraordinary. If you find yourself in Austin uh, with some time to kill, go to the Ransom Center. Um, They've done a fantastic job um, uh, putting the putting the collection together for this. Uh, so, anyway, and, check that out. Robert De Niro's taxi cab license. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So they have. Well, so they uh, they've done a great job at scooping up um, uh, scooping up collections. So uh, they have mm-hmm. uh, uh, David Foster Wallace's uh, kind of collected works. They have all of his personal effects. Um, I think JD Salinger's stuff is up there. They have the original, um, on the road by Jack Kerouac, you know, the one written on the loop of paper. Um, that's at the ransom center. Uh, they've got all kinds of crazy stuff. And yeah, you found, uh, <laughs> Robert De Niro method actor that he has got a real live taxi license, uh, to do taxi driver. And that mm-hmm. license is housed at the ransom center. That's right. Yep. Nice. Yeah, because when I first heard Ransom Center, I thought I thought that's like a way to like consolidate kidnappings or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Well, well, that's it. That's a secondary revenue source for them. Is now that they have all these uh, collected <laughs> items, now that they right. can now they can pay for it. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody they got to keep the lights on. Um, or, or something to do with vendor lock-in. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so tell me about this. Uh, tell me about your Russian friend, Dave. Yeah, so I, I just saw this tweet, and I'll put it in the show notes, that uh, I guess the Russian Fedora people um, 
they they tweeted my uh, article about uh, in defense systems about Docker and all that, and uh, I, I like took the article and I, I pumped it through Google Translate the 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 blog post and. It still didn't make sense to me, and I, I, I put it into like uh, Bing Translate just just to see if it was any better. It was a little bit better, but I mean, it, they talked about my article a little bit, and then then it went off into like some sort of rant about um, uh, uh, the military-industrial complex in Russia and um, um, and me writing a pro-NATO article. So. I don't know. I, I gave it to uh, one of the one of uh, the guys at Red Hat that works uh, that speaks Russian, and and he's like, yeah, it just has like a little lot of Russian slang in it, and don't worry about it. So, okay. So, like I asked him, I'm like, is this is he saying I was right or I was wrong or is it indifferent <laughs> or you know, it's like, yeah. am I getting flamed out um, in Russian or? <laughs> Um, you know, and and he's like, no, it's like he's mostly talking about the military-industrial complex in in Russia, um, and how we do dif- do things differently in, with quote unquote NATO. Oh, I see. So he's so he's using your article as a launching off point to kind of rant about. Uh, those. Okay, got it. Got it. Okay. Right. I think so. Yes. Yeah. And if anybody, it, you know, uh, send send your cards and letters uh, if if you have a different take on this. If you speak Russian. Um, so now you, so you found this article, um, written by some dude at VMware, I guess. No. Uh, oh, I don't, no. I don't oh, okay. think he's a VMware dude. I, I think it was like a industry analyst, quote unquote. Um, and, mm-hmm. and maybe he's has some reseller ties. I don't know, but it, it seemed like a, a pro VMware person writing a blog post about, uh, Docker. And, and I was reading it and I was like, Thinking about that that uh, that Gandhi quote, you know, the first you ignore them, blah blah blah, and I was wondering what stage he was in whenever I read it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what was his? Uh, uh, well, so first of all, the title is "Will Docker and VMware Compete?" Uh, mm-hmm. Thereby immediately invoking Betteridge's law, right, which says that any article whose headline is written as a question, the answer is no, right? Yes, um, correct. So no, they do not compete, and and we can talk about that. Uh, uh, we can talk about that in a little bit, but what were come, what were some of the what were what was his beef? Like, why would he bother writing this article? Yeah, well, it's like I, I, it almost sounded like he was like, oh, this is a competitive threat, and and there's like a lot of fud getting laid down about it, and and like almost like Docker's living rent free in his head, and he has to, <laughs> and he's listing all the reasons why it's a bad thing. Oh my gosh, and, and so you know and. And to me, I don't think it's like I, I, I think some of the premise, you know, like the premise was false, is that you don't have to choose Docker or VMware. You know, you can run Docker inside of RHEL 7 on top of VMware if you want to. Um, and, and so I think he was instead of having people make a big choice, you know, that's that's one thing. And then he's listening to all the problems with Docker, like, oh my gosh, you can't do um, you can't do Windows VMs. Uh, with Docker and and you know the reality is is that ninety uh, percent of the the VMs or whatever his statistic eighty ninety percent of the VMs are Windows based so it's not going to really have a big impact in in the virtualization space or the the VMware space and all that. Um, then he goes in and he talks. One of the other things that he talks about is um, you know the efficiency of Docker, uh, where um, he said that you know, you know how like you could pull down these. The, the containers themselves are very 
in very lean images of OSs. So you don't, you know, if I want to run a hundred containers, I don't, you know, I'm taking advantage of the underlying kernel and all that stuff. And I don't need to have all these extra copies of, of software installed. And I think when, and what he says is that that's not really a big deal because um, with, with VMware, um, it does like memory page deduplication. So it's like if I have a hundred, um, a hundred, uh, Windows VMs and they're all running the same software. Well, the the RAM will get deduplicated, so I could overcommit. Where the reality is, is that you still have to have 100 VMs installed. You have to your, your patch costs. You you got to be patching 100 systems, and um, it's it's you know it's it's still the complexity and the licensing you have to deal with too. Yeah. Um, so you know there there are things like that. Um, the, there are other things that he talked about like uh, security. Like he skipped over security where. Um, you know, and uh, VMware doesn't have like uh, MCS isolation like we have with with Svert in our KVM and and Rev and OpenStack products, but as well as um, the similar uh, SD Linux based uh, MCS separation with Docker. Um, so uh, you know, he he totally skipped over the security part, and then he also doesn't talk about performance too, where like performance of of Docker is or not even Docker, but containers themselves, whether or not you use Docker, um, is pretty close to bare metal performance. And and even though, you know, uh, the the VMware performance and say like KVM performance is, is getting pretty close to bare metal, there still is an overhead. And, and VMware still has scalability issues where like if you take a look at like the benchmark results like Specvert, Specvert, um, you know, uh, KVM and, you know, like the, the Rev-based uh, virtualization technologies dominate Specvert whenever you have uh, large-scale systems with high core counts. So what's funny to me about this article is everything you say is true. Um, it, the argument that he's making is, is already kind of clumsy um, because he's ignoring some pretty important stuff. He's also confusing stuff like memory deduplication with like administrative overhead for many duplicate machines. And, um, anyway, you could go down, you know, point by point for all this stuff, but, uh, rewind a little bit and take a look. <laughs> what do you, what this is, is a really a friendly fire incident. Um, because Docker and VMware are while related are really like orthogonal. Um, yeah. and in fact, in a lot of cases, complementary. Um, yes. And so I, I read this article and I was just, I had a screw face. I mean, what I was expecting was uh, a much better, uh, I was expecting a much more well-reasoned list of cautions against Docker, right? Because, um, you know, Docker is the cool new thing. Everybody's excited about Docker. Everybody's um, eager to, you know, move their systems over to using a Docker-style packaging and the rest of it. There are some good reasons to, uh, to not do that immediately. Um, and in fact, I found this other article, I can't remember who wrote it, but I'll include a, a link to it in the show notes. But, you know, he walks through um, some like major misconceptions about Docker. Um, things like, uh, uh, you know, how much work Docker can do on a particular machine, uh, how, you know, Docker will uh, eliminate the need for configuration management, stuff like that. Um, yeah. That's, a, <laughs> which is insane. Um, but that, <laughs> that uh, that's the kind of Docker caution I think that that people need to be talking about. A lot this this article that you found with the, from the virtualization guy just seemed much more fuddy than anything else, right? Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Too bad. It's a bummer. Um, well, one of the things that um, 
that I would say admittedly that is a, a weak point of say like like Docker and the container technology that's out there now is that it reminds me very much of like the RHEL 5 and early KVM days where um, the core technology to spin up VMs and shut them down using libvirt and all that, that was all there and that was pretty cool. And it worked really well for um, say like a single system. So like on my laptop, I want to spin up a bunch of virtual machines. I could use virt manager and it's totally awesome. You know, even back in the RHEL 5 days with Zen. Um, but I think what's really lacking is the ability to do um, uh, being able to manage containers at scale. And, and I think what's really needed is, is some sort of management tool for that or technology. Yeah. And so uh, if that's what you needed, you had a pretty good two weeks, uh, these last two weeks. So um, the Docker folks announced LibSwarm, um, which is kind mm -hmm. of like a low level interface uh, to solve exactly the problem you're talking about. It's, it's kind of like the Docker equivalent of LibVirt, I guess. Um, you've got, uh, you got, of course you have the Apache Mesos project, Mesos, Mesos, um, that project, <laughs> um, and a number of other solutions are coming on, uh, are coming up, but the big headliner was, uh, this project that Google announced at Google IO, uh, which is Kubernetes. Um, Kubernetes of course is Greek for uh, helmsman or, or navigator. Um, mm -hmm. and what Kubernetes is, this is the scheduler that Google uses for their own container deployments, which is everything that they do, right? There's something crazy like 2 billion containers a, get, a day get provisioned by Google. Um, and all of that is organized by this Kubernetes system, um, which is, uh, we'll include a link to, uh, uh, to this YouTube video that's a really good orientation to it. It's about an hour long and it walks through not only kind of like the business problems that Kubernetes solves, but also like technically how it works. It's a great, it's a great orientation. Um, so it's funny. I saw this video after Google IO and I was like, man, I would love to, I would love to get my hands on that Kubernetes stuff. That sounds pretty great. And then one week later, lo and behold, Red Hat, IBM and Microsoft all announced that they are working now with Google on the Kubernetes project. Um, mm. and so now we've got a good chunk of the industry, uh, rallying around this, uh, obviously already time-tested tool, Kubernetes, um, uh, to address some of the stuff you were talking about, Dave. Um, so handling mm -hmm. kind of the orchestration and governance uh, work. Uh, so it's pretty exciting. I'm really eager to see um, how this comes out because uh, you're right, that's a, like a big missing piece of the Docker ecosystem right now. Um, we have a pretty good idea about how to package applications. We have a good idea about how to handle applications on kind of a one-off basis, but doing um, orchestration, let's call it, of the containers is, uh, mm -hmm. that's still a question mark. There's, there's no real accepted solution for that yet. And Kubernetes looks obviously really promising. Yeah. So do you see, uh, and I'm sure this is a, a, me not being on the inside with the, the whole Google relationship. Um, I'm sure this is a defensive mood with other cloud providers, but do you see a day when instead of people doing traditional platform as a service to spin up a VM that they would just buy a container. Right. So the, I think that, so the, the, here's how I've been describing it. And I may end up eating my words um, as I learn more about this, because this is new for a lot of people, right? This is, this is new for everyone. We're still figuring this out. Um, but uh, mm -hmm. the way I've been describing it to other people so far is um, we've had containers for years. Um, what Docker adds is some metadata um, and the ability to, uh, package it up in a neat way um, so that if I build a container, I can easily share it with other people. Um, mm -hmm. What 
what Docker also adds is the ability to kind of host these containers in different contexts um, because it's because it is a packaging, right? It's it's the envelope that I can put a container in. So be, uh, very much like a shipping container, I can take an application or an application and its dependencies, and I can put it on a boat, I can stick it on a train, I can put it in a tractor trailer or whatever. Um, so depending on what mode I want to use, depending on what infrastructure I need to use at a particular time, um, I, can, I can use exactly the same Docker container um, uh, to do it. Well, uh, exactly the same thing for when we're talking about platform as a service or infrastructure as a service or what have you. Um, in some cases, I'm going to want to use a Docker container in the context of a platform as a service, right? So maybe mm -hmm. it's uh, maybe it's a building block for an application that I want to write. Um, in other cases, maybe I want to use a Docker container in an infrastructure as a service context uh, where I have something kind of out in production and it's running alongside a bunch of kind of vertically scaled applications, right? Um, uh, the idea is that by introducing consistency in my packaging, um, that frees me up to go deal with the with the genuinely hard problems, uh, which is the orchestration, allocation of resources, automation, that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. am, am I making sense over that to any of those words? No, that, that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, that's 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 the idea. Um, I'm very excited to see uh, how we integrate uh, Kubernetes over time. How we integrate Kubernetes with uh, you know. Uh, cloud forums, OpenStack, OpenShift, all the other stuff in the in the portfolio, um, mm -hmm. and it also provides an on ramp. And I think this is why Google is doing it, is because they're talking about doing native Kubernetes support inside the Google Compute Engine, um, mm -hmm. and I can see them using this as a competitive advantage against Amazon. Um, mm -hmm. So that if I've instrumented my, say, you know, in my internal infrastructure, if I've instrumented everything with Kubernetes and that's how I'm scheduling it and I need to burst out somewhere else uh, or borrow compute from Google, uh, I can do that really easily because uh, if I'm, I can do that really easily speaking Kubernetes um, on both sides of the wire. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so pretty cool. It's a, uh, it's, this is, I, I think we've said this before, but uh, it really is kind of, it's an exciting time to be in, uh, in the, in the data center and infrastructure business um, in a way that it, but I don't think it has been in quite some time. Yep. Yeah. So I, I have a new word that we could add to our uh, blacklist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm ready. Infotainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I that, like it. I guess, and we might as well, while, while you have the, the, the blacklist open, uh, edu edutainment, I think would be another one. Yeah, edutainment, I think, was already on the list as far as I was concerned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yeah, so Linux, uh, so Linux Foundation, I guess they're they're doing uh, automotive grade Linux, uh, and you know, so I guess there's all this, you know, everybody's implementing their own, you know, dashboard infotainment systems for, uh, you know, the auto manufacturers and everything, and now mm -hmm. there's a whole group of people, Linux Foundation, um, it's like, hey, let's just do this with Linux. Right. Well, it's, and this is where is this coincidentally timed or is this conveniently timed? Because Apple announced their what CarPlay, right? Mm -hmm. um, they want to do the same thing, but they want to stick Apple software in cars instead of a instead of Linux in cars. Yeah, yeah. And I, to me, I, I'm and I'm I'm sure we've talked about this before, but to me, it's like I I want I don't want an operating system driving my infotainment system or you know like like the navigation. And, and all that, like the in-car navigation, I, it just gets out of date so fast. Mm -hmm. um, and it's super expensive. Um, I would just much rather have like a standard form factor where I could take my 7-inch tablet, dock it in there, 
and then you know and and or if anything uh, do and we talked about this in the last episode sort of like your google uh watch where it's it's really it's just a a, a dumb display mm-hmm. uh, ideally right maybe some sensors but but uh and some input but it's just a dumb display and all and but i can update the the brains of it independently um and and then you have a standard interface to that whether it's you know some sort of uh uh, you know, whatever the protocol is. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Well, um, you know, when it comes to stuff like this, I actually share uh, our friend Jim Stogdall's frustration. Um, he feels like the auto industry is kind of obsessed right now with wrapping uh, a 2,000-pound car around an iPad, right, in yeah. one way or another, right? Um, how about taking all of this time and attention and focusing it instead on making a 1,000-pound car that will get 200 miles per gallon? Um, wouldn't that be nice? Uh, if, if you were to, if, if I was able to get a lighter car that, uh, had double the mileage, um, I would appreciate that a lot more than, you know, the ability to watch, uh, you know, whatever, a Lily Allen video on my, uh, on my dashboard. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I don't know if it's for the automakers, they're, they're not motivated for you to keep a car for 10 years. They don't have that vested interest. So they, it, to me, this is almost like designed obsolescence. So, um, you know, to have like a, a 10-year-old infotainment system, you know, it's not that compelling. It makes the car worthless compared to like a newer or more compelling infotainment system. Right. Um, so I, I don't think they have the right incentive model uh, to, to, you know, to, you know they, they want people to buy uh, a new car and have, retire it faster. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose that's right. I suppose that's right. I just, I still don't get like, why not just let me drop my phone in there? Like, why not just let me plug my Mm -hmm. phone in and let my phone do all this work, which I guess is what happens when I buy a $15 cell phone holder at a radio shack and stick it in my, stick it in the air conditioning vent of my dashboard. Um, Yeah. Or or plug it into the cassette adapter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I end up doing anyway. Um, Anyway. Yeah. Oh, guys. You can all your podcasts on on uh, on that. Nice segue. Podcast. Yes, that's right. And I've and I've actually got a brand new podcast. Uh, so uh, Red Hat's uh, Joe Brockmeyer uh, has a podcast mm-hmm. up on. So it's it's up on SoundCloud though, and I don't. I feel stupid because I don't actually know how to take a podcast that's on SoundCloud and stick it into like a normal person feed reader. Have you? Yeah. Have you done that? Or I haven't figured that I, out yet. I I haven't. Um, I bet you Richard Merle may know because he Richard he's Merle always been a, a big mentor of us from a, a podcasting standpoint, and he he knows these things inside and out. So maybe maybe he could chime in. We'll That's give him true. the action item. Yes, I look I look forward to his guidance. Um, yeah. But yeah, so Dave, how many how many podcasts do you listen to, or how many how many are you subscribed to right now? Yeah, I'll, I'll look that up right now. But one, two, three, four, five, six, yeah, less than ten. Huh. So I'm not, I'm I'm feeling self-conscious about that because I've got my phone tells me here that I'm subscribed to 42 podcasts. Wow. Huh. So you don't sleep. No, no, I. Well, I don't sleep, but that's for different reasons. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I, I I suddenly got, you know, obviously I've always been into podcasts. That's why we're doing this show. But um, I, I suddenly hit a, like pay dirt on a bunch of like really excellent podcasts that I get very excited about listening to. Right, like uh, back mm-hmm. to work. Um, uh, the partially examined life, um, the world this week. I mean, there's a, there's a whole list of them that I, that I like. And, um, in order to find time to listen to them, I've been, 
Uh, I mostly listen to them on the weekends in my little like dorky Bluetooth headset. Um, mm -hmm. I just kind of keep that in my ear while I'm doing chores or running errands and stuff. And um, I, I knock out most of the, uh, the accumulated weeks podcasts that way, um, especially mm -hmm. when you listen to them at 1.5 or, or 2x speed. Uh, that yep. helps a lot. Um, but, uh, you know, it was funny. I was trying to, uh, there was a while there where kind of even during the work day in between conference calls, I would listen to the podcasts, right? Yeah. Uh, Cause I could, right. I'm not listening to anything else. I might as well. You're wasting time. If I'm you're wasting not. time. Yeah, exactly. But it was making me crazy. Uh, I realized that like without, I constantly had somebody whispering in my ear basically all day. Um, yeah. and that is how the Stasi tortures people. Um, it's I'll like, find out. I'll find out. <laughs> when I go to Barcelona, if I don't come back, um, the, uh, I'll, I'll give a full report. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I, I found, and so I guess I'm saying all this as a, as a caution to, uh, to our listeners. Like if, um, if you find yourself kind of constantly listening to music all day or constantly listening to podcasts or whatever, um, I found that once I cut out the podcast and cut out the music and just kind of let my mind be quiet for a little bit, um, yep. and just kind of, uh, let my, let my mind be alone with its own thoughts, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I felt it was much more productive, um, and felt a lot less harried at the end of the day. Uh, yep. so anyway, I, I don't know if you've had a, a similar experience, Dave. Uh, yeah. And, and that's where, yeah, I'm very similar where silence is very good. Um, as far as, uh, you, know, you you have to have some quiet time um you know especially it's like uh um you know it's i, I remember there's I, I, one of the guys i used to work with he he always said you know if you, when he drives around with his his uh child he turns the radio off um you know and just so they could talk mm -hmm. and so it's it's more than just you know you absolutely need to have your own mental defragmentation time <laughs> and to me that is you know, I ride a motorcycle, so I don't do like a Bluetooth headset or anything like that. And I, I do a lot of that defragmentation while I'm on the motorcycle, and it's just mentally therapeutic for me. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is I may not do as many podcasts, but I do a lot of um, uh, audiobooks uh, because I'm, I'm a slow reader. And mm -hmm. so I, uh, you know, I pull down the audiobooks from the using the Overdrive app and uh, listen to them at 2x and and that's pretty good too but still it's like if you're mainlining a a book to just gag it down and get through it at 2x you know are you really you may you may not be absorbing it and you may not be enjoying it um so that's that's mm -hmm. the other thing too is that it's okay to turn it off you know it's it, uh, silence is is good yeah. yeah yeah that's right that's right uh which is a which is a wonderful segue uh to this uh to this Gawker article you found about uh, Martin Scorsese's use of silence. Yes. Yeah. So there, there's a video essay of, of uh, some of the things that, uh, uh, where he uses silence in his films and, you know, and, and there are some really great examples that to me, it's like, I'm, I'm, I don't have like that artistic, you know, any of that bone in my body. Um, but when somebody tells you, you're like, Oh, oh okay. And now you're on lookout for it. But I saw that and uh, I thought that was compelling, but I also know too that silence is also good whenever from a public speaking standpoint or a communication standpoint, negotiation standpoint is another one uh, is using silence. Like if you're negotiating for like buying a car, um, you know, somebody throws a price out, you know, the first one to talk loses. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, 
so you know to me I think silence is is very helpful and a lot of times um, a lot of times people are instead of it, it prevents you from listening and so instead of listening they're sort of waiting to talk so they wait for a break so they could talk right away and, and fill up that silence but um, like especially when you're giving a presentation to have a silence is also allows um, the people that you're presenting to to absorb the material and let that sink in for a minute. That's right. I think I, I like this idea of, um, so I often think about it in terms of silence, but um, I think it's maybe more important to think about it in terms of listening, right? Um, yes, both. And so it's, it's, about, it's about kind of silent, focused attention. Um, and in the case of a film that can build tension or, you know, uh, play, on, play on an emotion um, in the context of a negotiation or a conversation with somebody, uh, it, it can just mean, uh, you know, respecting what that other person has to say and like truly absorbing it. Um, I'm a pretty good talker. Um, I'll cop to that. Um, and I used to think that, oh, okay, well, I just need to be a better listener. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to figure out what I'm going to say first. And as soon as I figure out what I'm going to say, then I'm going to stop thinking about it and pay attention to what this other person is saying. Um, mm -hmm. and which is, uh, I guess an effective use of time maybe, um, but is not what listening means, right? Mm -hmm. Um, listening means absorbing everything the person has to say and then digesting it and then coming up with a response. And often that means uh, allowing a little bit of time to go between when the person stops talking and you start. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's funny how pressure of speech uh, is such a, a powerful, a powerful force uh, for me anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something, I, something I'd like to be better at. Yeah. First one to talk loses. You just did. Gah! Gah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So as your reward, you get to you get to close out with uh with your last item. Okay. So let's yeah. So let's close out on some uh, late breaking uh, Cleveland sports news. I, I I'm sure you're as big a uh, Cleveland sports fan as I am. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love the yeah. sports ball in Ohio. That's mm -hmm. right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so. We're, we're, uh, so one of the big uh, sporting things that happened uh, that is recently is the anniversary of uh, the 40-year anniversary of Tencent Beer Night. Uh, this sounds promising. Uh, tell me more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, I, and to me, I've heard of it before. But like, so you've probably never heard of Tencent Beer Night. No. No. Never. Okay. No. So that's like a common. Like if, if you hear somebody say, oh, it's like 10 cent beer night, it's, it's, you're typically referring to like a disaster. And, <laughs> and so you know, like an, a good idea that has gone terribly wrong. Um, so this, uh, so let's see, June 4th is the 40th anniversary of uh, um, 10 cent beer night. Yeah, June 4th, 1974. Mm -hmm. And um, so the way it worked, this was the Cleveland Indians. Um, they were playing um, the uh, Texas Rangers, and uh, so it's uh, 50 cents uh, to get a ticket to the game and 10 cents per beer. What what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> that sounds like a that sounds like a healthy budget. That's what that sounds like. Yeah, and it's so there's more there's more to that. Um, so like I guess like the week before that this game happened up in Cleveland, um, the the Indians played the Rangers in in Texas and there was like a, a big fight 
and uh, the the coach of the Rangers at the time uh, was it Billy Martin. Um, he, you know, they, they're like, aren't you afraid of, of of retribution whenever you go to play the Indians in in Cleveland? And um, uh, Billy Martin said to him, um, I don't think there are enough Cleveland fans for me to really worry about. And so it's like totally <laughs> like backhanded, you know, it's like just adds more gasoline to this fire, you know. So okay, so. That sets a stage, 50 cents a ticket, 10 cents a beer. So before you know it, like throughout the game, you know, people are, you know, um, one of the stories I'll put a link to, a nice video, it's like a seven minute video, you have to watch it. Um, um, they, they were saying that the bleachers were loaded and uh, the, um, there was, uh, there was like a, a lady, who was like a housewife that ran onto the field and tried to kiss one of the umpires there were a bunch of streakers that just ran across the field naked. And what, and what really like tipped things over was like, I think it was like in the ninth inning. So the game wasn't over yet. Um, and, um, one of the guys, uh, from the bleachers ran out onto the field and he's like, I want to take this guy's baseball hat. So it's like he, so he runs over to the player, the Texas Ranger takes a baseball cap off his head. And then the Texas Ranger guy just like hits him all hell breaks loose. So there's, <laughs> there's a, a total riot. They call in the Cleveland SWAT team. Um, three bases were stolen, like literally stolen. <laughs> so, you know, you know, Tim Russert from NBC's meet the press. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So he was, a he was in law school at, at one of the local Cleveland universities at the time he was there. And a famous quote from him is I went there with $2 in my pocket. You do the math. <laughs> so all this happened you know so and and so you would think the, the SWAT team comes in they they just you know tear the place up and all that people are in jail they're never going to do this again right you, know, the, the, you would think they would never do this again they've already demonstrated this is a terrible idea yeah so one month later 10 cent beer night they, they did it all over again <laughs> Not a problem. It, nothing, nothing happened. It was, it was like no big deal. And, and, you know, they're like, some of the analysis was that, um, it was sort of like this perfect storm of events where, you know, it was a Rangers. It was that time of year when the kids in, in college were, uh, who don't have a lot of money to begin with, were just finishing up finals. And so they finished up finals and they're sort of letting, letting their hair down with right. you know the the little bit of money that they have and it's a cheap entertainment and a way to get uh, to have a, a couple beverages and all that, um, but they they did it a month later and there was no riot, no nothing. Um, the guy that stole the hat that sort of like like made the whole thing happen, he ended up getting a Citizen of the Year award uh, <laughs> in the year 2000. Uh, there's a little municipality called Richmond Heights around here, and then. Um, just uh, as as we record this today, uh, LeBron James announced he's coming back to uh, the uh, Cleveland uh, Cavaliers. I don't know if that's related, but yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe the Cavaliers will uh, maybe the Cavaliers will volunteer a uh, ten cent beer night, and uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm yeah. So, so I, I really enjoyed that story. It's a good story. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. What a, what a great piece of uh, civic history. That's, that's yeah. tremendous. So and and now you need to work in uh, ten cent beer night into your uh, lexicon. I do like that. I do like that. Uh, excellent. Uh, well, Dave, uh, please enjoy yourself on your uh, on your vacation. You deserve it. 
Um, yes. I, I hope you come back with some. Uh, I hope you come back with some excellent Spanish. Uh, <laughs> yes, muy bien. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, um, actually, and, you're Catalan, right? You're Catalan. You're gonna brush up on your Catalan while you're there. Yeah. Do I need? Uh, yeah, I, I need to. I need to. It's a slightly different accent, I guess. A little more lispy, I guess. Yes, I that's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. But if if people wanted to uh, see that. Uh, Tencent Beer Night video and uh, uh, tune into all, all your podcasts uh, uh, and all that. Where, where do we need to send them? Yeah, sure. They should go to uh, dgshow.org. Uh, that's D as in Dave, G as in Gunner, show.org. Awesome. Great. Thanks, Gunner. Thanks, everybody. Right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.